Hi everyone, it's Susan, and I am oh so excited to announce that the Divorce and Beyond members only community is finally open. That means you can go to divorceandbeyondpod.com right now and sign up for membership for only $10 a month and get all of the members only materials, podcasts, exclusive episodes, Ask Susan Anything forum, newsletters, and videos just for members only. So go to divorceandbeyondpod.com now and check it out. Coming up on today's episode of the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I'm speaking now also to the people who have the mental health issue because very often if you're open, which is great about your diagnosis, you might get pigeonholed or scapegoated by your ex or your soon-to-be ex. And yes, I mean, I want to be really clear, people who have mental health issues, that might contribute to the problems in the relationship, but there's lots of other things. Hello, and welcome to the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host. As a top divorce attorney and family law mediator for 30 years, I know what you need to know to get through your divorce and most importantly, how to move beyond it to thrive and transition to your new future. My experts and I are here to give you the insider view into the process. So listen in for the wisdom and expert information you need on your journey through divorce and beyond. Hello and welcome to today's podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host, and today we have Dr. Elizabeth Cohen, the divorce doctor, joining us again. Thank you, Dr. Elizabeth, for coming back. So happy to be here. This is one of the most fun places for me to talk. (laughs) Well, for me too, we were just saying you and I have not had a chance to catch up lately because you have been busy. You have been a busy, busy lady. Um, I want to let people know a few of the exciting things that are coming in the future or have just happened for you. Um, You have your your New York City private practice and your Afterglow program, but what people don't know is you also just launched, by the time this episode airs, you just launched your podcast, Mm -hmm. The Divorce Doctor, and you have your book coming out in April. Yay! These are such exciting things. So tell us about both the podcast and the book. Oh, okay. Thank you so much, Susan. I'm so happy to talk to your audience about it. So the podcast is called The Divorce Doctor. And on it, I interview women and men who've gone through the divorce experience to hear about both the struggle, but also the healing that they went through. I created it because when I was going through a divorce, I felt so alone. I didn't feel like my story was being experienced by anyone else. And while everyone's story is a little bit different, there's commonalities. And so we need people, especially strong people to share their struggles. And I had the absolute honor of my first interview being with you, Susan. And it was so cool to hear a divorce attorney's divorce story. So that's the kind of thing you're going to hear. Well, and I have to tell you, it was a it was a really interesting experience for me because when I'm interviewed, usually people are interviewing me based on my areas of expertise. They want to hear about divorce law or they want to hear about mediation. And you and I were talking about my divorce and, and yeah. my experience of it, which I do think maybe it's the only divorce I've ever had. So it's 
the only perspective I have of divorce, at least for myself. But it was a very interesting thing for me to realize. It actually brought home for me how much my own divorce then impacted my practice of divorce mm-hmm. as I went forward in positive ways, I, I will say. So, and I know that's in the episode. And yes. then your book, which I have had the pleasure of reading. Mm-hmm. So I'm so Thank excited you. for this to come out for people. Thank you. Me too. So my book is called The Light at the Other Side of Divorce, Discovering the New You. And it is really a complete healing package on how to move through your life after and during your divorce to heal, thrive, and grow. And in the book, there are chapters covering all topics related to divorce, dating, co-parenting, living in a new house on your own. And then there are actionable steps you can take. So I like to say that, you know, if you don't have time for therapy, or you don't have the money for therapy, please pick up this book and get working. You can have such a better experience than you're having right now. Well, and we're going to talk a little bit more about how people can pre-order the book yes. and some special benefits they will get um, from you if they pre-order the book. We'll talk about that at the end of the episode. So stick around to the end um, so that you get that information. And I just wanted to say, I just interviewed Karen Millen. We were just talking about this. And one of the things she pointed out is that therapy and dealing with trauma and healing is so important, but it is often outside the financial reach for so many people. And that is a reason why your book is going to be just so helpful. And I will also say why Afterglow, your program is also such a wonderful resource because it's available at a a very accessible cost for people. Exactly. Exactly. And I know that going through a divorce, you know, people told me that I could charge a lot of money, you know, up in the eight, you know, 10, over $10,000 for the online program. But I know how hard and how tight money is during the divorce because you, people do end up spending that much on therapy, but both the book is in, in, you know, if you have a library, if the book is there, take it out. You don't have to spend a dime because I don't want people to have to stretch to heal because the more people who can heal through divorce, the better this whole world can be. And we can stop the stigma of divorce. So I'm so happy that both the course is available for people who want more interactive with me. The book is going to be available for those who like to do it on their own. And the podcast will be there so that people can really hear actual stories of healing. So so that is why we have not been able to catch up with each other lately. You've had a couple things going on. Yeah, a little busy, (laughs) but all to the good and all in furtherance of something that you and I are both very passionate about, which is, you know, the positive transition through divorce and and a better life after. Um, And that's actually, you know, we were talking about what we wanted to talk about today and You know, there's been a story playing out in the news over the past couple of months, I would say, although it's been, you know, spotty through the past few years about Kim Kardashian West and Kanye West and their marriage, their trials and tribulations as things have, have hit some rocky times. And recently, a large number of articles about perhaps they're at the point of divorce. Um, and, you know, putting aside the fascination that people have with <laughs> celebrity divorces and marriages mm-hmm. and relationships, um, I really thought that this was a, a great opportunity to talk about something that is an intersection between both our worlds because mental health issues and divorce go hand in hand. I mean, they are, as a divorce attorney for 30 some odd years, 
I would say more of my cases have had somebody with a diagnosed or undiagnosed mental health condition or or issue um, because there's something about dealing with a mental health issue that puts strain on divorces. In fact, I found a statistic that says you're two times more likely to uh, mm. divorce if there's a mental health issue or diagnosis in the in the relationship for one of the parties. And of course, mental health is your world. So it's it's been talked about quite a bit. And I think actually during one of the incidents that was happening and playing out in the press, Kim uh, Kardashian West talked about the fact that Kanye has a diagnosis of bipolar disorder. Um, and that is something that I've become familiar with because that very commonly, I think, in fact, I saw a statistic that said 90% of marriages mm. where one of the parties has a a bipolar diagnosis. Psychology Today um, had an article about that, that there was a 90% chance that that might lead to divorce. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I wanted to talk with you about this because that means with those statistics and with what you bo- and I both see in this world, that mm-hmm. a lot of people who are listening to us either are dealing with a mental health disorder on their own in their relationship or are dealing with a spouse or romantic partner with a mental health diagnosis. And that makes it infinitely, what's already difficult, infinitely more difficult, doesn't it? Absolutely. And I I do want to say also that, um, you know, mental health struggles are really um, like many diseases that we talk about when I'm talking to clients um, about medication management or therapy management. I often use the example of diabetes. Um, And with diabetes, you have to keep your sugar at a certain level And so, and we know for diabetes, things like stress will exacerbate it. And so I want to point out to people too, that if you have a vulnerability or a pre-existing condition of any mental health struggle, all research shows that stressful experiences like divorce are going to exacerbate your symptoms. So it's really important also, if you are the person who's having a lot of mental health concerns, to know that it makes perfect sense that you would be having more symptomatology. I've worked with people who feel like, wait, I thought I had worked through this depression. I thought I had worked through some of my manic phases and now they're back. And I really want people to know not to be too afraid. You know, we never go back. We simply learn from where we are. And so it is happening because of this stress. And I think that, you know, what came first is is complicated um, but I, I just want people to know that, that it, it makes sense that you might your symptomatology would be higher and more intense. That actually, I mean, it makes perfect sense that it would, would go up. Um, and I think maybe the takeaway from that is, is you need, if you are, uh, do have a diagnosis, if you are medicated or in therapy, it's time to get to your clinician and, Very good and point. get some yes. help. I think that's right. I think a lot of people who are, you know, clinically stable on medication or therapy. I mean, a lot of people I've worked with, you know, we've done some intensive work. They've really moved through a lot of their struggles. They have coping skills. They have behavioral plans of how they're going to handle things. Take a break from therapy um, or take a, you know, usually when take a break from medication, but take less time seeing your psychiatrist or psychopharmacologist, let's say. And so I really, I would even encourage Susan, I mean, we know this and I talk about this on my podcast that, you know, so much of the distress comes way before the divorce, right? So the moment, I mean, I would really say the moment you notice any symptomatology coming up again, 
you don't have to figure out if it's, is this my depressive disorder? Is this my bipolar disorder? Is this the relationship? Just know something is up and we need some guidance and some help. And I, I'm speaking now also to the people who have the mental health issue because very often if you're open, which is great about your diagnosis, you might get pigeonholed or scapegoated by your ex or your soon to be ex. And yes, I mean, I want to be really clear, people who have mental health issues, that might contribute to the problems in the relationship, but there's lots of other things. And so we really want to be clear for the partner or the person who has the mental health issue about separating out the different pieces, right? So yes, in the Kanye and Kim situation, he has had, you know, um, manic episodes and that they have been disruptive for her. But if that was the single only thing that was happening, my guess is it would be different. So I really want to kind of put this in the context that it isn't like you press a, you know, a button, somebody reacts poorly, and then the whole marriage marriage dissolves. And I want to say that for both partners, you know, I don't want to put the pressure on the mental health issue. Does that make sense, Susan? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you actually just made another good point in there um, that I want people to understand. What I see often from the legal side as being, mm -hmm. you know, the attorney in the mix is I will have clients who do have a diagnosis or do have a, a condition. They are finding that there are exacerbated symptoms, but they do not want to reach out for help because they are afraid it will be used against them in the litigation or in the divorce process. And, you know, as an attorney, what I always tell them is, it's it's not you know what will get used against you will be the symptomology if it's playing exactly. out in a way that then affects your household affects your behaviors affects your children exactly. that's what's going to come out if you go get help or are seeking treatment then you are much less likely to find that a court is going to look on it as something that is a problem in maybe your parents' Absolutely. Plan. Yeah. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I mean, the court, you and I have talked about this, it's very black and white. They're not nuanced at all. So if they see that you're having symptomatology and you have a therapist, I know because I'm a therapist to many people in this circumstance, just check and move on. I mean, they're just, that, that's all they want to see. And so treatment is not a sign of weakness. It is not a sign of failure. It is a sign, similarly to taking your insulin, of being proactive about a health condition. And I think that, you know, it's really important to have a clinician who's working with you, who understands and works with people who have that same condition. So if you are someone who has depression and you start working with a therapist or some people work with a coach who doesn't have a history of working with people with clinical depression, you do not want to be there. I have talked, I believe, on this program before about you are the customer. We, as a therapist, are there to be interviewed by you to find out if we can provide for you what you need. There are bipolar disorder specialists. There are clinical depression specialists. There are anxiety specialists. You deserve the right person for you, and so do your kids, and so does your ex-partner. And so it's really, you know, when we hear these stories about Kanye and Kim, you know, I don't know any of the details of the kind of treatment they're getting, but, you know, I have, I know clients who have struggled with bipolar disorder and have been with clinicians who have never treated that before. 
Right. And that's actually a really good point I, because I've had a number of cases um, over my career where one or one of the parties does have a bipolar diagnosis. And I, you know, honing in on that particular diagnosis, it is yeah. a very, very tricky situation to be dealing with because what I've found, and it kind of goes to what we were just talking about, what I've actually just seen anecdotally is that although someone may get treatment and become regulated or have their symptoms regulated for a period of time, something might happen, a different stressor perhaps than divorce. Mm -hmm. Um, Or uh, I had one case where a client just gained a lot of weight and apparently that Mm -hmm. set their medication into, you know, Mm -hmm. it wasn't as effective. Um, And I've had many other bipolar clients or cases where someone is regulated for a period of time and then decides, well, I don't need medication anymore. Because the side effects can be a real issue. So that is something to be aware of as well, right? Yes, definitely. I mean, that happens. Most recurrent episodes of mania and depression come from people feeling like they're doing okay so they can go off their medicine. And then we realize that actually we're not okay. We were okay because we were on the medicine. Okay, meaning not having the cyclical experiences of mood. Um, so that happens a lot. And I think it's really, I mean, I would imagine for the clients that I've worked with who are going through a divorce, who have been married to someone who has a mental health issue, and then in the separation, you have less, you know, what feels like control. It's incredibly, it's an incredibly powerless feeling. And I think very often people might mistakenly place all the explanation of someone's behavior onto the mental illness. And while there is a probably a piece of it, right? We talk about this with the, you know, our problems with the term narcissist, right? Like there's a, there's definitely a part of it, but there's an, there are other pieces too. And so I right. think that that's something to be really careful of because I imagine, I wonder, Susan, if people would come into your office and just have this kind of sweeping statement, you know, they're bipolar, so therefore we can't work with them, which is not true. Um, they might have some instances. So here's an example, you know, I like to give. So if someone is having, first of all, most people who have what we call active bipolar one, which is clear cyclical shifts from mania and depression, which is, I, I don't know the um, percentage, but it is not incredibly high. Um, the manic episodes often last anywhere from two weeks to three and a half weeks. So they're not, you know, forever. You know, people use this phrase manic, right? People often spend much more time in the depressive state. And so it's really important to realize that, you know, two and a half weeks in a two-year divorce, you know, is not going to shift everything. And so it's really important, I think, for both parties to understand the diagnosis and what's, what's really expected. And so in, for example, if you know the signs of someone starting to get into a manic episode, so they're sleeping less, they might feel the urge to spend more money. They might be speaking more rapidly and you have someone who you're divorcing, who's this way, you know, you can say, we're not going to have our, our custody meeting until I notice a, a, a shift. I mean, it's also would be sad because the shift might be into a depression, but you can, you can, you know, you can think about ways of understanding the disorder and how you can really, and if you can't control the person taking their meds or not work with it, but see, that's different than shaming the person. It's really understanding what's coming up. 
I, thank you for saying that about shaming the person because that is the other experience of mental health and divorce that I deal with um, or and have dealed with, dealt with throughout my career is there is a very, you said judges are black and white. Divorcing spouses tend to be very black and white as well. Yeah. And yeah. they it is a very common yeah. situation where the person with the mental health disorder, be it bipolar, be it depression, anxiety, be it alcohol abuse, drug abuse, um, there's a myriad of different things out there. I think there's 18 different um, mm -hmm. diagnoses that contribute to divorce according to one of the, the studies I read. But they make that very black and white. They are manic depressive or they are bipolar. Therefore, it's all their fault. It's yeah. they're a bad parent. And, you know, it becomes a very like tunnel vision situation for people. Yeah. Yeah. It's like that, you know, you have a glass of water and you put a little bit of food coloring and it's all of who they are, right? I read recently that really the best way to say is um, this is a person who struggles with bipolar disorder, right? This is a person who struggles with bipolar disorder. It's not, they're not bipolar, which is how we used to call people, um, which of course is better than what we used to call people when we used the word crazy, but still, right? Like it's not, they're not all bipolar, Wacko. right? Yeah, and, I, know. And, I, and what I say to the people in my program, and I, I talk about this in the book that I want to be really clear about is you've every right to be angry. I am sure there is some stuff that your ex did, whether it was in a manic episode, a depressed episode, an anxiety, panic attack, that really you deserve to be pissed off about. And they probably have things that they deserve to be pissed off about you. I am here to help you work through that outside of the divorce. I promise you those are legitimate feelings. Like living with someone who has undiagnosed or untreated bipolar disorder is suffers from bipolar disorder is very difficult. And we can work on that. It, I'm not saying you shouldn't be having a hard time with it or it shouldn't be impacting you. But when you're trying to move forward in a process that costs thousands of dollars, that impacts your children, we need to have a place to process that so that you can move fully into the process without that rage and resentment. And I think it's really important. Um, I know we're going to talk about um, a listener that reached out to you, but about this. But I really want to point out that no one causes, no one else can cause, cure, or change another person. I'm going to say that again. Please. No one can cause, cure, or change another person. And it's very often, it's, it's very likely that in your situation, if you're in this situation, you have been trying for a very long time to change the other person. And I will tell you as a therapist, I understand as a therapist and as someone who is married to an active alcoholic, I understand the desire. I did it too. I thought I could change him. My attempts to change him for sure made him worse, for sure made everything more unmanageable. So eventually I had to take responsibility for that behavior. So even if you're not there yet, just know there's always two sides of the street. There's yeah. always two sides of the street and we're here to kind of think about both sides. 
Hello, listeners. It's Susan. And while we're taking a quick break, I wanted to run through some of the topics that I've already covered in the Divorce and Beyond Members Only exclusive podcast episodes. So what you'll find in there already loaded are episodes on how adultery affects your divorce, alimony, what you need to know, soul custody, what does that look like and can you get it? and myth-busting, common divorce myths corrected. So go to divorceandbeyondpod.com, join the community, and get instant access to all of the exclusive podcast episodes and other benefits of the Divorce and Beyond members-only community. Stay tuned for more from Susan and her guest, Dr. Elizabeth Cohen, the Divorce Doctor, discussing the incredible toll mental health issues can take on relationships. guess I just want to point that out when you're thinking about the person who's suffering is that they're complex, just like you are complex. And so there is no black and white. I mean, I think a lot of people have been saying like, you know, Kim should leave him. She shouldn't leave him. You know, it's very, very complicated. And just know if you're in that situation that it is very nuanced. If you are enjoying this episode, check out Get ready to biff your hostile ex with the world's leading expert on high-conflict divorce, Bill Eddy. What biff really does is it makes an adversarial situation into a non-adversarial one. It's like you take, you take your desire to defend and justify and turn that inside yourself into a simple explanation. And now we return to today's show. You know, you make such a good point, and I do. I was looking at, um, you know, just doing my research for the episode, and, you know, there are for people who are married to or in a relationship with someone who has a mental health issue, there are three main reasons why they will delay or not separate from that person when the situation, even when it becomes intolerable or too difficult to deal with. And I, I, I find, I always say the universe provides, I posted something that was unrelated, uh, sort of to this topic today, but somebody reached out and said in the comments, um, that, you know, the girl I'm dating is suicidal and depressed and I don't like her anymore. Not for any reason. I've just lost feeling for her, but she cuts a lot and she's lost all her friends and she only has me. And she's told me before that I'm genuinely the only reason she's still alive. So I can't break up with her because she would kill herself. And, you know, first off, my heart just like squeezed when, when I saw that and I thought, mm-hmm. thank God I'm talking to Dr. Elizabeth in a <laughs> few minutes. Um, but this goes to that. There are, you know, one of the top reasons why people will stay in relationships that are untenable for them um, is they feel that they are responsible for the person with the mental health problem and that they, that person will get worse hurt themselves, not get help, not take care of themselves, whatever that might be. They feel very responsible for that person. So what you Mm -hmm. just said, you know, that it just so strikes that. But what do they say to themselves? How do they get themselves through this? So I think we talked about this in one of our earlier episodes together that I just love, so love doing um, about when someone is suicidal. So I really talk about um, the importance of asking specific questions. We're all afraid 
that when we hear someone say that they're suicidal or that they're cutting to just kind of back off. I think they're, it's probably evolutionarily adaptive that if someone is self-destruct, self-destructing to kind of pull away so you don't get pulled in, but that doesn't help them at all. Um, and what actually helps is asking more specific questions. So even, you know, um, saying, I know, so you, you say that if we break up or you kill yourself, do you have, and these are the questions we ask, like, do you have a plan of how you would do that? And then if the person says, yeah, I have, you know, I have pills and I've kind of hoarded them so that I know what I could do. Okay. Have you practiced it? Like, have you ever tried it before? Yeah. The last time you didn't call me, I I had them in my hand. Um, And then you get a sense of how serious it is. And that's when you decide if you're going to call the person's family, if you're going to call the hotline and ask them what to do, you know, there's a SAMHSA hotline. I'm sure you'll put links to that too. Um, or if you're going to say to them, oh, why don't we come up with a plan so that the next time you feel that you can call this number, send me a text and I'll call, you know, an ambulance, you know, you can be cursorily involved, but I really like the idea of creating a plan ahead of time because then you're engaging the person and you're not, um, responding just out of guilt and assumption of what's going to happen. Right. right. And so, I would say like a little bit more engagement, which is not what we typically do when we're hearing that someone's acting that way. And then I said this in that episode, which is that no one can ever, the only person who can take their own life is that person. And if someone is um, committed to doing that, there isn't that much that we can do. We can, you know, we haven't really figured out, you know, we can keep them away from, materials for a period of time that they might use, but when they will get released, they can do that. I mean, we really haven't figured it out because it is really up to the person. And so I would encourage this person to really connect and say, um, you know, to find out more questions, say, you know, what can I do to help you create a plan? But sticking with it is not a plan. Like that's not a plan to help someone not kill themselves. It, it doesn't work. I mean, plenty of people have ended their lives who were in connected, healthy relationships. It's right. un, it's not really part of part of that. I mean, one of the only things that have seen to help is sometimes to say how much of an impact they would have on everyone. So think about your parents, think about your children. That seems to play into our social, our need to be socially connected. Um, so that sometimes would help. Um, but I also think that you have to also understand that you are not powerful. You are not God. Um, I think that's the other piece too, especially when someone puts us on this pedestal that we have this power. None of us are powerful enough to save another person's life. Right. Including me. Yeah. Well, and, and that's such a good point. And for the, you know, my heart hurts for both of the people in that relationship, the person who feels that someone's so important to them that without them, they might as well kill themselves. And then the person who feels they are the linchpin holding that person's life on this planet, um, you know, neither is, is true in the grand scheme of things, but obviously there's help needed. So I will also be sending him the link to our prior episode, because you did talk about, 
about, you know, suicide. It's the um, episode on the perfect storm, anxiety, depression, COVID, and divorce. And that, you know, all those coming together in the world we're in these days has increased the um, suicide rate, has increased the diagnoses of of depression and anxiety. Um, I I guess I want to say also, you know, um, falling in love and connecting to people put all put puts every piece of us on the table right like we couldn't cuz it sounds like oh my god that why would you ever i mean i'm just thinking to myself like why would you ever want to be with someone this is so hard this is so <laughs> but it's because with all the joy comes all the discomfort i mean we're we're both right we're, right. we're complicated people like this person that um is saying they're afraid that they'll die without this person also has amazing characteristics that brought person initially to them right i mean and so I guess I just want to point that out when you're thinking about the person who's suffering is that they're complex, just like you are complex. And so there is no black and white. I mean, I think a lot of people have been saying like, you know, Kim should leave him. She shouldn't leave him. You know, it's very, very complicated. And just know if you're in that situation that it is very nuanced and complicated. So if you feel overwhelmed, this is why you can't do it yourself. You need to get the help of people who know what kind of tools to either help you or to help your partner. Right. And and that's such a significant factor in this is you you shouldn't try to do it alone and and you know you you will exhaust both yourself and your reserves. Um one of the other factors and I've experienced this one myself, and I, I am thinking of a close friend of mine who was mm-hmm. married um, to someone who had a very difficult um, and out of control problem with alcohol. Mm-hmm. And she, I mean, it was a tortuous road of arrests mm-hmm. and, and physical violence um, and mm-hmm promises to get better and then going to treatment and not, I mean, it was the typical tale. I hate to call it typical, but unfortunately that's a common story. But she would then come to me, her friend, the divorce attorney and say, but I I don't want to divorce him because when he's not under the influence, when he's himself, I love him so much. That is the person that I love. And what if he is able to get sober? What if he can put this behind him? Aren't I giving up on that? And so she honestly stayed in that relationship and put her daughter through Mm. more than I, you know, we'll talk about here, but who saw things Mm. that shouldn't have had to see and Mm. out of that hope that it was going to get better. And I think that's a problem as well um, because the person you love is both of those people, the person who's not under the influence or with a mental illness (laughs) and the, and who they are when their illness is taking charge. Exactly. So well said. I mean, first I want to say that I want to honor hope that, you know, I, so many people said to me, why are you still with him? Why are you still with him? With the person that I was with um, who had alcoholism. And I couldn't, I couldn't help it. I couldn't help but have this hope. And that is a really amazing skill to have (laughs) because especially in the times, right, we are in now, like being a hopeful person is really a beautiful characteristic. So I just want to say that first about your friend. Um, and I, I really want to also point out again that nothing is one-sided. Everything is two ways. And so I had a lot of the similar thoughts um, until I realized that he might get sober, but he sure as hell wasn't going to get sober with me. That there was just, 
I wasn't causing his drinking. I couldn't change his drinking and I can't cure it. But there was something within our dynamic that was making it even more difficult for him to get sober. And so this kind of waiting, and I know it so well, it's like there's, you know, standing there waiting to see what's going to happen. Even that, like I'm pretending to look at my watch and looking up, that is a message that you're sending the person. In fact, right, her hoping he'll be different, oh, it brings, it gives me like chills. That's sending him a message that he's not good enough how he is. Yeah. Right. And of course she meant only with the drinking, but you can't, a person, you can't separate out like that. Right. And so it is, you know, and then, and again, there is no person, as you said, like there's no, there is no one person and another person. He is all that person. And essentially you accept, I'm going to accept this person warts and all. And if that means their alcoholism, I'm accepting their alcoholism. I mean, that's what you learn in, in codependent recovery. Like you, you lovingly detach, but you accept all of it. And so there is no waiting for the person to change. This is the person. Right. And so the question is, how are you with this person today? And man, I mean, we could do a whole podcast on this because do you know how many people between like dating and divorce, you know, this idea of maybe they'll change, maybe they'll change. And I say this all the time. I say, people spend thousands of dollars with me to change. And some of them change this much. (laughs) Yes. Like it's so hard to change, right? Let alone with nothing. So, um, and, and again, like, here's another piece for your friend, which is why this is the work that I do with people too. Like, why is it okay for you to be in a relationship where you're waiting for something different? What about being in a relationship where you don't have to focus on something changing because the baseline is just okay. I know we both have this in our relationships. Like they just, they're the icing on the cake. They're not the thing that we're waiting for either way. And so how do we get you to know you deserve that? Yeah, that's actually the post that I posted today that Mm. had the um, response is, um, I'm trying to remember how I phrased it. Um, Don't you deserve more than being with someone who doesn't treat you well? And I mean, it was, you know, but we do, we tend to, you know, think that, hope that, want that, um, desire that things will change. Uh, And instead of, I I love what you just said about, you know, accepting the whole person and if their alcoholism or their bipolar disorder, you know, or their depression or whatever is happening for that person is a part of them. Is it something that you can live with or is it something that's not the right mix for you? And keep in mind, as we always talk about, Susan, if you have children, they will always be in your life. You will have to explain and under, and help your kids understand this person's behavior. And another important piece, if you are, if you are divorcing someone who has a mental health issue, please work with someone individually so you can also get straight on what's happening with your kids. Because what ends up happening is your kid displays some erratic behavior that is completely developmentally appropriate. You assume they're like their parent. And yep. then you go down this rabbit hole or and you start projecting your feelings. So you really need a lot of support. And yes, some mental health issues are, are genetic, but not every moment that your kid is displaying, again, a developmentally appropriate behavior is the sign of them being like their parent. 
I, I have to, you talk about developmentally appropriate. So this is just a total <laughs> aside, but it reminded me and I think you'll get it. My mental health friend, um, my stepkids, I love you all. I'm going to say this to you before I tell this joke. Uh, my stepchildren just turned 23. And when I mentioned that to a friend, she goes only one more year until their cerebral cortex is yeah. fully developed. <laughs> she goes, I know. I have some bad news. New research is showing like 26. So you got a few more years, but yes. Right. Right. And And I'm like only my mental health friends and divorce attorneys out there would even know the joke. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. But I can speak, you know, I've had spent a lot of sessions in my own personal therapy where my therapist says, here's your ex, here's your son. Even though he's acting like your ex, when your ex was 40, your son's 14, being impulsive and that's appropriate. That's the same. I mean, I have to do it all the time with both yeah. of my kids um, because otherwise I jump on behavior that is not, it's just developmentally appropriate. It's, it's not warning signs, but I, I get really triggered by that. So I want people to know that that's why it's so important to have some support when you have someone in your family or you yourself are going through this. Yeah. And the support is really the key to all of this there. You need the support while you're in the relationship. And if the relationship is ending for whatever reason, getting some support so that you can deal with moving through the process of separating out and helping your children do it is really critical. Yeah. And I'm just thinking, Susan, right? So many people might think, oh, good, they're gone. You know, this is over now, or I don't have to deal with the episodes or, and no, 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 no. First of all, you're still dealing with things. And we have, I mean, I talk about this all the time as a psychologist, we have to process what happened in the past. Otherwise you cannot clearly step into the future. Yes. Oh, uh, you know, um, some Beth, um, uh, Beth McCormick, our, our mutual friend who's a divorce yeah. attorney in Chicago, just posted something that said, um, if you don't deal with your hurts, they're going to play out with your prior hurts. They're going to play out in your future relationships. And I was like, you know, you, you have to deal with the past to go forward. So I want to say to my members only community, I will be doing a separate private podcast for you guys on the legal aspects of dealing with mental health and divorce. Um, so be sure to be on the lookout for that. It'll be in the uh, members only community shortly. But Dr. Elizabeth, as always, it is always such a pleasure to have you on the show. And we're already talking about topics uh, for a few for future shows. So know everyone that she's not leaving forever, even though she has her own no show now and she's going to be a big author, best selling author, and all. She's coming back to talk to us all. Um, so going to come back. Always. So send your <laughs> questions in, uh, divorceandbeyondpod at gmail.com. And once again, tell everybody, oh, do tell people. So if they pre-order the book, yeah, so tell them about the Do- exciting news. Yeah. So if you go to drelizabethcohen.com, which is drelizabethcohen.com back, have, backslash book, um, and you pre-order the book there, you will get automatically registered for three amazing workshops that I'll be giving for free if you order the book, pre-order the book on topics related to divorce, relating to processing righteous anger and related to moving through to the next step. And these are things that have never been released that are totally exclusive for people who pre-order the book. Yay. So go pre 
order the book. First off, you want the book anyway, but just to get these workshops with Dr. Elizabeth, you're going yeah. to have an opportunity to work with her. So go sign up, go get the pre-order of the book. I'm going to have, as always, all of the links, including to your prior episodes in the show notes, and we will be seeing you soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for joining me today on the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I hope you found some information and inspiration to help you on this journey. Please join me every Monday at 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for a new episode. And if you like the show, please take the time to subscribe and leave me a five-star review on iTunes. You can also find more information on the website at divorceandbeyondpod.com where you'll find links to the YouTube channel, transcripts of the episodes, and other bonus content. So I'll see you next week to help you move through your divorce and beyond.